This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. Confounding, exhilarating, and contagious. Emotions matter, and so does applying emotional intelligence. Welcome to Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight, the podcast where emotions rule. Whatever the topic, how do hearts and minds collide? Find out with your host, a college professor turned globetrotting EQ entrepreneur. His mission? Each week, Dan joins prominent authors in decoding how emotions drive outcomes and make people tick. Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the 95th episode of my podcast, Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight. The series appears here on the New Books Network, which has as its motto, sharing knowledge so people can thrive. Today's topic is the positive case for a negative emotion. I'm joined by Daniel H. Pink. He is the author of The Power of Regret, How Looking Backward Moves Us Forward. The publisher is Riverhead Books. Daniel is the author of the New York Times bestsellers, A Whole New Mind, Drive, To Sell as Human, and Win. His books have sold millions of copies and been translated into 42 languages. His TED Talk has been viewed over 38 million times. On a personal note, Daniel has been kind enough to endorse a pair of my books, First Emotionomics, and more recently, Famous Faces Decoded, a guidebook for reading others. And I might add, ourselves too. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Dan, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, so give us a brief overview of the book, if you don't mind. Well, this is a book about regret, which is our most misunderstood emotion. And what I try to do here is get us to understand it a little bit better. So I talk about why regret makes us human, that everybody has regrets. It's our most common negative emotion. It's not a sign of weakness. Uh, it's not a sign that something's wrong with you. It's a sign that you're a human being. And if we deal with them right, there are an array of benefits from making better decisions to improving our problem solving skills, to becoming better strategists, to uh, finding greater meaning in our lives. Uh, I also did some original research of my own, looking at what people regret, uh, a collection of 16,000 regrets from around the world. And the book also talks about what to do with our regrets, how to turn them into a force for good. Well, certainly, you know, in the first part of the book, you mentioned uh, regret reclaimed and people trying to pretend as if they don't have regrets and having tattoos that say no regret. <laughs> I, I can't tell you how many times I, I will close the show with an epigram on regret. And as I started looking through the options online, 
my God, it was replete with all sorts of examples of people saying they've had no regrets in life or you shouldn't have them yeah. uh, from Cather Mansfield onward. Uh, in your case, what inspired you to, to write this book? Well, part of it is that I had regrets of my own. And, uh, and you know, there's an old line. I know you, you talk to academics on your show, but there's an old line in research, particularly in social science, that all research is me-search. And for me, I think that was true. I was at a point in my life when I had some mileage behind me, but also some mileage ahead of me. And I realized that I had some regrets. I was looking for ways to reckon with them. And, 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 and my, my pathway to that was having some conversations with people about these regrets. And I found that it was a topic that people really leaned in on, that people wanted to talk about, to my surprise. And then I started looking at the academic research, and then I realized that this is something that I wanted to spend a few years working on. Yeah, no, I think it's obviously if it's the most common negative emotion, it's got a lot of weight and substance to it. So I think it's an excellent choice. I was very intrigued. This is not the next book I would have expected from you. Uh, based on the the others necessarily, although it certainly ties into to motivation and the drive book, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I you know, I just when I when I select a book topic, I just look for something that I'm so interested in and so deeply curious about that I can withstand the pain of writing a book. <laughs> <laughs> As you know, it's not easy. So you have to pick a topic that you're genuinely interested in. I don't really think about the connections of one book to the previous books. I'm just trying to get through the day. Sure. No, no. I, I welcome the candor. And it yeah. makes me think of the uh, William Faulkner line that no book is finished. It's merely abandoned. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. Very, <laughs> I had not heard that. That's very true. Yes. Um, so let's go into the, the second part of the book, um, because you you analyze you know, regrets. In fact, the section is called Regret Reveal, that it involves your, your study. Um, tell us a bit more about the study and the other studies that preceded it, and then I think we'll go into those four categories. Sure. Well, I did a couple of things. I did a quantitative piece of research, the largest piece of uh, public opinion survey, largest public opinion survey about American regret, attitudes about regret ever conducted, where we asked people a bunch of questions um, and what I found there, one interesting thing I found there is that if you ask people about their regrets without using the word regret, you get a very different answer than you would get in your comments. So we asked people the question, how often do you look back on your life and wish you had done something differently? So we're describing regret. We're just not calling it regret. <laughs> and uh, we found that 1% of the population in the U.S. said never. Um, and 83% said they do it just uh, at least occasionally. So it's, again, I just want to emphasize how much this is a common emotion. Um, it is the, there's research showing it's the second most common emotion, second most common emotion overall next to, uh, behind love. Uh, and it's the, it's the most common negative emotion. Um, but what I also wanted to do in that survey is try to figure out what people regret. So I had people put their regrets into categories like um, family and career and education. And I found like some researchers beforehand that there wasn't really a clear answer. Uh, but I, I found what I think is a clear answer in another piece of research that I did, which is the World Regret Survey, which is a collection of 16,000 regrets from people in 105 countries. And there, what I realized is that beneath the surface domains of people's lives, there was something else going on. And it, it was that there were these four core regrets that people expressed over and over and over and over again around the world. And the domain of life in which they were expressed didn't matter so much as what was going on underneath. 
Okay, and let's go into each of those because, you know, they get a chapter in the book, and I think they certainly deserve a question or an opportunity to explore them uh, in this interview. So one of them is uh, connection regrets. In fact, you say this is the largest category. Right. Uh, It seems to me that uh, it certainly involves, it's very people-centered. What more do you want to tell us about that category and why you think it's the heaviest? Yeah, connection regrets, as you say, Dan, are the biggest biggest category. And connection regrets are regrets about uh, relationships that, you you know, were... can, were, that, that, that did exist or that should have existed and that somehow come apart. And I think what's interesting about some of these relationships is, is how they come apart. They, they often come apart in profoundly undramatic ways. Uh, people, they tend to, people tend to drift apart rather than anything else. And, and what happens in those cases is that people want to reach out. They don't reach out because they think it's going to feel awkward. And then they regret it. And and it's it's across a whole range of relationships. It's not only romantic relationships, but it's friendships, it's siblings, it's those kinds of things. So connection regrets, one of the big four are if only I'd reached out. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense to me because I know in the research on happiness, which would be on the, the flip side of the equation here, a, a chance to belong, to connect to others, to, to bond it is so fundamental. Uh, so it 100%, makes a lot 100%, of sense. And you make a very good point because these, you know, these 16,000 people who were telling me their regrets were also telling me what they valued most in life. You know, as I say in the book, these four core regrets are a photographic negative of the good life. If we understand what people regret the most, we understand what they value the most. And yes. so when what they value, you know, the four things that they value the most want the, at the top of the list is, I mean, I, you know, is not only love, it's not only connection and belonging, but I think something even more deeper is love. And as I was mentioning, love beyond the romantic notion of love, but the love we have for all the people in our lives, including our friends. Okay. So let's go to the smallest category then. That's the moral regrets. <laughs> Yes. Moral regrets are, again, a lot of these regrets begin at a juncture. Um, they begin at a juncture so that people, um, you know, find themselves at a kind of a crossroads. And in this case, the crossroad is, do I do the right thing or do I do the wrong thing? And when people do the wrong thing, not everybody, but a large number of people, when people do the wrong thing, they often, again, not always, they often uh, regret it. And um and in this category, there you see things like people regretting bullying kids in school. You see uh, regrets about um, um, regrets about uh, marital infidelity. Uh, you know, just this is a regret, and I think that the need that it surfaces is our need and our desire to be good. And so, moral regrets are if only I'd done the right thing. And speaking then of good, I mean, just like love was kind of the the flip side of the regrets involving relationships. Is there an emotion that you think really shines out, you know, in the juxtaposition for moral regrets? Yeah, I mean, I think it's not an emotion. I think it's a need. I think it's a need for goodness. I think it's our desire to be good Um, that, you know, and we can talk more about that. But I I do think that human being that most human beings innately want to be good and they certainly want to be seen as good. Yes. Okay. Um, let's go. We have two more foundation regrets and boldness regrets. Is one of those the second largest category? Um, I would say boldness regrets are the second largest category. Those, those two categories are roughly the same. Boldness regrets are a little bit, little bit, a few, a few more. Uh, boldness okay. regrets are interesting and they're a good example of how these regrets 
these core regrets span the domains of life. So a boldness regret are people who say, oh, if only I traveled more. I had a chance to travel when I was younger and I didn't take it. I really regret that. You have other people who say, if only I'd started a business. I stayed in this crappy job and what I really wanted to do was go out on my own, but I was too scared to do that. You have a lot of regrets in the romance category of people who say, oh, there was this person I really liked, but I didn't ask him, her out on a date and I regretted it ever since. That's a romance regret. But all of those are the same. All of those regrets are, if only I'd taken the chance, if only I'd taken the chance. And I think, again, the way that you're pursuing this, Dan, like I think that the flip side of that, the photographic negative of that is our desire for growth, for learning, for psychological richness. Um, that's a big part of what we want out of life. We know we're not here forever and we want to do something useful and, and interesting and, you know, cool and rewarding with our time. Yeah. Well, if only it has been called the two most tragic words in the English language. Yeah. Although uh, it's exactly right. But I also think that they are the two most instructive words in the English language true. because they are, they are telling us that's the thing about regret. Regret is instructive. If we're willing to deal with a little smidgen of pain, within, with that pain comes instruction. So, so I was curious, this is where you got into introversion versus extroversion, and that people who are introverted tend to be a bit more likely to have these, these boldness regrets. Yeah. Um, you know, of course, the big five factor, the other personality traits are also neuroticism and agreeableness and conscientiousness. How do those play into the regrets? Did you happen to come across it, that it's, in your it's, literature? It's interesting. It's interesting. I asked a, I asked a question in my quantitative survey um, about where I had people self-identify as in, introversion or extroversion, um, which is imperfect because the conventional understandings of introversion, extroversion, the popular understandings of introversion, extroversion, sometimes depart from the big five understanding of introversion, extroversion, but I didn't find all, I didn't find that that much there. What I did find in the qualitative category in the collection of these 16,000 regrets is a lot of regrets about people being introverted. A lot of regrets about people. um, You know, one of the most common phrases that you saw, especially in the boldness category was speaking up or spoken up or speak, you know, speak up that people regretted not speaking up. They regretted not asserting themselves. And, you know, as someone who is a, you know, I mean, again, as you know, but, you know, introversion is not, introversion, extroversion is not binary. It's a, it's a spectrum. And, and, you know, I'm someone who is, you know, sort of in the middle on the spectrum, but definitely more of an introvert than an extrovert. And it's sort of annoying to read the research to say that if you actually act a little bit more extroverted, you're going to be happier. Yeah, no, I call myself a shy extrovert. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you say that because 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 I think that people. I mean, for me, some people say, you know, when I said they find out that I test more introverted than extroverted, they um, they're surprised by that. And then I have to explain it's I'm almost the exact opposite of that, Dan. It's that I'm I'm an introvert, but I'm not shy. Yep, fair enough. Um, so we got one more category. That's the foundation regrets. Right. Foundation regrets are regrets like uh, smoking, like not saving money, like other ways of not taking care of your health, like not working hard enough in school. There are small decisions that accumulate to large consequences. Um, and those, and, and, and with those, the need, I think that it surfaces is stability. 
Uh, we need a certain amount of stability in our lives. Um, and when we make decisions and mistakes of our own that compromise that, we end up regretting it. So uh, I don't want to preview entirely just quite yet the last part of the book with the uh, regrets remade. But uh, one of them that's there it really intrigued me, which was the regret resume. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. It's, well, Tina, this is an idea from Tina Selig at Stanford. She calls it she calls it a failure resume. And I love this idea. Uh, a failure resume is when we um, you, you list like a resume you know, your resume is your collection of all of your accomplishments and triumphs and things like that. A failure resume is the opposite of that, where you list your screw ups, your mistakes, your setbacks. Uh, but then you don't stop there. You um, you simply go through each of those and try to extract a lesson from it uh, and yes. then figure out what you're going to do next. And, and I've done this. And it was revelatory, um, you know, in two ways, I guess. One thing is that I discovered is that a lot of the setbacks and mistakes and so forth, the lesson that I learned from it was there really wasn't a lesson. <laughs> it was like sometimes <laughs> things don't work out. Sometimes yep. there's luck and randomness and whatever. And, and actually, that's actually heartening in a way. But the other thing that I learned when I looked at some of the other failures, setbacks and screw ups is that I had been making the same two mistakes over and over again. And now I'm making those mistakes far less. And by any chance you're willing to uh, reveal what those two were? Sure. Uh, I mean, okay. most of these, I mean, all of these were in the professional realm, but the, the two mistakes that I, that I had, that I made were that um, I didn't, um, I, I hate to make it too clinical, but before entering a project or a job or a pro, you know, anything, uh, any kind of venture or project or job or whatever, um, the ones that I, the ones that really didn't work out well for me, uh, I noticed that I hadn't done enough due diligence in finding out what it was really like. I went in there with assumptions. I, 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 I deluded myself into believing that I knew more about the situation than I really did. And in, in many cases, there were warning signs that it was going to be a messed up situation. And instead of uh, pursuing that instead of actually really going in and doing the work and finding out what's it really like. Um, I just based on assumptions made the decision and I didn't know what I was doing. So now I do much more kind of surrogation and due diligence in figuring out like, what's it really going to be like if I take this on the second mistake that I made was committing to things that I wasn't fully engaged in or excited about. And as a consequence, I did a half-assed job and as a consequence of me doing a half-assed job, things fizzled. Okay. Well, I, I did a regret resume as well. Most of them tended to be, in my case, around uh, inaction, that I wish I had been a, a, a bit bolder. Mm. Uh, for instance, you had mentioned, you know, law school maybe wasn't your, your favorite cup of tea. Uh, I have a PhD in English, and uh, at one point, Jerome Robbins was encouraging me to become his administrative assistant. And he used a, an old Broadway tune called No One Ever Died for Dear Old Rutgers to try to convince me to, <laughs> to leave graduate school. And I, I stuck with the program, but uh, you know, it wasn't uh, really exciting to me. And uh, I, I've always wondered uh, if what went to come if working for, for Jerry, who I knew was hard driving, but I was intrigued. Yeah. So, so let's, let's move over then to, to some of the solutions. But I think before we get there, I just want to make sure we map out for people to understand 
because regrets and disappointments, for instance, are are different from one another. I think it's important to delineate that. Oh, yeah, very different. Uh, the big difference is that regrets are your fault. Um, so the best example, you know, regrets require a certain amount of agency. And the and with um, um, what was I going to say? The um, with with disappointments, there's not so much agency. Something's happening externally that you don't have any control over. So the best example of this is from Janet Landman at the University of Michigan, who said that um, gave this example of a of a, like a six year old uh, losing a tooth, and she loses her tooth and she puts the tooth under the pillow at night, and then when she wakes up and uncovers the pillow, the tooth is still there. So. She's disappointed, but her parents regret not replacing the tooth with the dollar bill. And so uh, there's a big difference between that. Regret and disappointment are, they're both negative emotions. Regret hurts more though than disappointment because regret is your fault. Sure. Well, that's interesting because when I went back and looked at the two, the two emotions and what kind of are the influences or other emotions they might be a compound from, you know, regret, both of them have sadness in them. So obviously there's, you know, something's gone wrong. There's a mistake, all that. But uh, regret has an element of disgust to it that, you know, something mm-hmm. did not turn out and it tastes bad to you metaphorically. Uh, disappointment because indeed it's out of your control. Uh, the other emotion that comes into play there is surprise hmm. uh, because it you know it 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 came to you um, and you have to deal with it. The other one I thought that was kind of interesting here uh, that some people might think this all involves is shame. Hmm. How how does regret and shame uh, stand differently? Well, shame is destructive because shame is an emotion that's really about you as the person uh, rather than about yeah. about something you did. And so, um, so regret can spiral into re- the, the sort of the, the sphere of regret, which if we deal with it properly can be instructive and clarifying. It can also be debilitating if we, if it, if we don't deal with it properly and we start spiraling into shame or rumination. And what we need to do it, with regret is really focus on the act rather than on the person. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, I did something stupid, not I'm a terrible person. And that's what shame is. No, I like that a lot. And that's why I wanted to use this as the introduction to the solutions, because yes, a shame is really almost like a uh, overwhelming verdict about yourself. And uh, as an emotion, disgust and fear both play into shame. And, and that fear can really, of course, you know, freeze you and not allow you to to move on and take the learnings that you're advocating are part of the upside to regret and why it is indeed a, a positive emotion in some manner of speaking. Yes. So so let's go into some of the solutions um, and, and the way in which you can, you know, make this emotion remade. Uh, I m- mentioned, of course, we've gone over the regret resume, but you have many other things as well uh, that you cite in the last portion of the book. Uh, maybe we can go into a few of those. Sure. I mean, I, I, there's a there's a fairly simple, not, I don't, a fairly straightforward process for dealing with our retrospective regrets when we look backward. And, you know, to me, it, it, the way I like to look at it is to think about it as inward, outward, forward, inward, outward, forward. So inward means okay. how do we look at ourselves? And, and that requires a degree of what's called self-compassion, uh, which is that when we, sometimes when we have mistake when we make mistakes, when we do stupid things, when we make the wrong decision, when we have inactions that we regret, we treat ourselves and talk to ourselves in ways that are so cruel that we would never do that for anybody else. 
And so, you know, self-compassion, which is the work of Kristen Neff at University of Texas, suggests that we should treat ourselves with kindness rather than contempt. We should recognize that when we have missteps, it's part of the broader human condition. Uh, and that it's not, to your point on shame, Dan, it's not that single action doesn't define us fully as a human being. It's just one decision, one action in the course of a long life. And self-compassion allows us to sort of see ourselves differently. The other step, and the next step is, 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 um, is outward, which is disclosure. Uh, there's a lot of evidence showing that disclosure is a great way to unburden. And, and even more important, that disclosure either in words to other people or even in writing to ourselves, and this is really important, writing to ourselves uh, is a way to take this abstract blobby emotion and make it more concrete and manageable. And so there's, I mean, there's some good evidence saying that if you want to deal with one way, good way to deal with your regrets is to write about your regret for 15 minutes every day for 15 minutes a day for three consecutive days. And that is a way to severely defang it. And so once we sort of look inward and, and express outward, we want to move forward. And the way to do that is to extract a lesson from the regret. And the only way you can do that is you got to take, you got to get some distance. Um, and so you can get some distance by how you talk to yourself, talking to yourself in the third person. You can get some distance by imagining yourself in the future, looking back. You can get some distance, I think, by asking yourself, what would you tell your best friend to do? And so if we have this very simple, systematic way of dealing with our regrets, they are a power. You know, here's the thing, Dan, these regrets we have. There's a reason that regret is common. There's a reason that evolution has maintained it as a human emotion. It's helpful. You know, and, 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 you know, and we just have to treat it right. And if we, and if we, if we treat regret as a teacher rather than as a menace or as a stranger, uh, we can, we can learn a lot from it. No, no, I, I like that a lot. I have to confess that in getting ready for this podcast, I mentioned to some friends over dinner at a dinner party that, uh, you know, the book was about regret and a couple of them just immediately went to, oh no, I don't want to touch that. You know, yeah, that's right. Difficult, dark subject. Yeah. And I was like, no, 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 you got to wake up to the possibilities here. And yeah. I, I, I think I got them there by the end of the dinner, but it, it took a bit. It took a bit of work. Yeah. So one more thing. I mean, when you did the survey, I was also intrigued in the book. You you, you ended up in, in dialogues and conversations with some of the people who had participated. Was there a particular story or person in all of those interactions that uh, has really maybe stayed with you the, the most? Well, they're all pretty compelling, and they and then they all have they all have lessons. Um, you know, there was a there's a woman named Amy uh, in the book who her regret was that she had a, a close childhood friend who ended up developing a pretty horrible form of cancer, and when Amy learned that, she wanted to call her friend and reach out to her friend and talk to her friend, but she put it off and put it off and felt it was awkward, and when she finally made the call her friend had died a few hours earlier and she so deeply regretted that. And that's the bad news. The good news is that she used that horrible feeling to find a lesson the next time. And in that, in, in her next encounter, unfortunately she had another friend who had a severe, ultimately terminal illness. And with that friend, she behaved very differently. She called that friend, she texted that friend, she met with that friend. And that friend also died, unfortunately. But Amy says she left that without any regrets. And so I think that, you know, one of the, the takeaways here, especially with these connection regrets, is that you should always reach out. Like if you're wondering whether you should reach out, you've answered the question. You should reach out. 
Yeah, well, as my father said in business, if you're going to under-communicate or over-communicate, always over-communicate. Uh, that's, two. Very, that's very good advice. Yeah. So anyway, it's a, it's a wonderful book. I want to thank you for your time, Daniel. Uh, this has been episode number 95, The Positive Case for a Negative Emotion. My guest, Daniel H. Pink, he is the author of The Power of Regret, How Looking Backward Moves Us Forward. If you've enjoyed today's show, please give that a rating or review on iTunes. You can find other episodes by going to my company's website at the obligatory three W's and sensorylogic.com or to the New Books Network and, and type in the show's name. Finally, I'd like to conclude every episode with an epigram. In this case, one from Henry David Thoreau, I thought kind of got least to some of the essence of Daniel's book. He writes, make the most of your regrets. Never smother your sorrow but tend and cherish it till it comes to have a separate and integral interest. To regret deeply is to live afresh. Until next time, take care and be well. Mm-hmm.